You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Father God, we thank you for the amazing truth of that verse. One of the most popular verses, if not the most popular verse in the entire Bible. It so clearly lays out your work for us, the amazing work that you have done in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. As we think about Christmas uh, this weekend and in these weeks, in these days, we rejoice that, that we uh, know and understand a God who loved us so much that he would give us son. And so, Lord, as we look in these verses today, encourage our hearts and challenge us, Lord, in this busy season to honor you in our life and in our walk, Lord. We pray for uh, people in the room this morning who've never trusted Christ, that they would see and understand what the purpose of all of this is. Father, they would meet Jesus Christ. So, Lord, give us ears to hear your word, minds to be able to understand it, and then, Lord, the faith to passionately live out our lives for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at John 3.16, just one verse today. So uh, you want to get your Bibles open there so that you can uh, see it as we go through it and understand a little bit better about what God was doing and how he was working. But just to kind of set the table for that, a little bit of review about what we've been doing the last few weeks in our our series, A Down-to-Earth Christmas. The uh, first week, we uh, took a look at the glory of God revealed, and we saw the shepherds. The shepherds are out in their field watching over their flock by night, and the angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and what? They were afraid. They were afraid. But God's glory is being revealed. What's happening in Christmas, what's happening in the work of Christ is God's glory is being revealed. The next week, we looked at Philippians chapter 2, and we saw the character of Christ on display. Philippians 2, who being very formed God, didn't find that something he had to grasp onto. Why? Because he was God. But he made himself no reputation, took on the form of a servant, and became humbled and became obedient even to death, even death on a cross. Um, That was the working of Christ, and we saw that in his character. Last week, uh, Daniel preached as we uh, took a look at and saw the promise fulfilled from time eternity past, God's work being done, God's work being accomplished, and uh, taking a look at the understanding from the fall of man, and then uh, Christ coming, and all of this being fulfilled in what God was doing and how he was working. And and this week, we want to just make sure we get our focus set on the purpose of God, and see that purpose as it is defined. And really, I think it's laid out real clear in uh, John chapter 3 and verse 16. But before we get there this morning, I want to take a few minutes and kind of work our way through the narrative. What's happening? What's, What's going on? What is this whole Christmas story that is being accomplished for us? We understand the promise from the Old Testament and and how Christ would come. Uh, But the but the reality is, the reality is there was this fall of man, there was this sinfulness, there was the law that came, and then and then the Lord Jesus Christ would come to fulfill and accomplish all of the things that 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 couldn't accomplish. And we hear the promise of the Old Testament. You will call his name Emmanuel. The virgin will conceive. And you will call his name Emmanuel. 
His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. All of this laid out for us in the Old Testament because of this great need that man has. Mankind separated from God in our sin with no way to be able to rectify the problem. And God is going to meet that need in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the announcement comes to Mary, a young woman probably in her late teens, that she will be the mother of the Savior. There's no immaculate conception of Mary. Mary, when she first hears it, is like, who, me? Are you kidding me? Who am I? But she was a woman of faith. She was a woman who trusted God. And, and although she was filled with fear, she still, you don't need to fear. You don't need to fear because what is happening is, is being done by the Holy Spirit of God. He will, he will do this work in you. And we have the virgin birth and then we have the announcement that comes to Joseph. We read about it in Matthew chapter 1. You have to try and understand how that happened. He didn't hear the word uh, through a vision or, or through a dream or through an angel. That all came after he knew she was pregnant. So somewhere along the line, there's this awkward conversation that happens probably between Mary and Joseph where she has to come and explain to him uh, what's gone on here and what's going on here. And that she's pregnant. And he wants to put her away privately. He wants to be an honorable man. And then he has this dream. He has this vision. It's revealed to him that, you know, this, what is being done here is done by God. And, and, and we see in her, when she first hears the story, fear. We see in him, when he first comes to all this, fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife. Because what is being done to her, done in her, is from God himself. And and so we have the announcement to Mary of the virgin birth, and, and then we have the announcement to Joseph, and, and then we have this trip to Bethlehem. A taxation will take place, and they have to go to Bethlehem, and so they're going to make this journey um, all the way down, and I've never been pregnant. That won't be a surprise to you. <laughs> I can't imagine what it's like to be pregnant. I'm just thankful that God chose to use women for that. Um, nine months pregnant making this trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Well, yeah, but she rode on a donkey. Are you kidding? Is that much more comfortable? Maybe she didn't. Maybe she walked. We don't know. Nine months, and they make this trip. I, I remember when our kids were born. They were both born on Vancouver Island, and, and uh, the, what we thought was the night before Beth's, uh, uh, the due date for Beth to be born, um, a snowstorm hit. In, on the island. Um, now, in Vancouver Island, you have to understand, they don't really plow very much. They plow the main roads. You just wait because it's going to melt in two or three days, right? But it's like the night before my baby's supposed to be born, and my wife's going to have to go to the hospital. And back then, we owned this little blue Chevy Chevette. Okay, if you're not like 35 or 40 years old, you don't even know what that is. But, but we owned this little Chevette. And um, in, on Vancouver Island in British Columbia, you could put chains on your cars. You're allowed to do that. You can't do that in Ontario. But, and so I'm out in the garage putting chains on this little Chevette because we might be going to the hospital tonight. There's six inches of snow on the ground. And how else will we get there? But the reality is, I'm careful how I say this. I don't want women coming at me afterward. But the reality is Sue just had to sit in the car and make the trip. Mary's walking or riding on a donkey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Um, they get to Bethlehem and, 
And the text says there was no room for them at the inn. No room for them at the inn. I was thinking about that, and you know, traditionally I've been taught, and I believe it's true, that that's because there was just no room. The rooms were all filled. Um, possibly that's why. Maybe there was no room for them because the innkeeper didn't want somebody having a baby in his inn screaming all night long. It's like, there's no room for them in the inn. Or maybe it was because this, this um, high school-aged girl wants a room in our inn, and there's no room for them in the inn. No room for that kind of people in our inn. I really leaned towards the place was full, but the reality is all those thoughts about Mary and all those thoughts about Joseph and all those thoughts about the baby Jesus were going on in everybody's mind anyways. Uh, there's no room for them in the inn. And Jesus Christ is born and he's laid in a manger and the shepherds have this meeting. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago and fear fell on them. Fear fell on them and they're told, fear not. What we bring is good tidings of great joy, which will be all nations that... And then they go and they find Jesus Christ and they tell what they've been told and they worship him. Uh, while that's going on, there's a star shining and the wise men, they, they see the star and, and they head on their way to get uh, to meet Jesus Christ and uh, they find their way to Jerusalem and then they make their way down to Bethlehem and, and they go and they meet Jesus Christ and meet Jesus Christ and they bring their, their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and, and they bend the knee and they worship him and they worship him and they bring their gifts Matthew 1.21, as we already heard, says, She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And then this amazing verse from 2 Corinthians 9.15, where Paul said this, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The gift that's so amazing you can't even give words, that truly can define and explain this amazing gift that God has given and we see this at Christmas and the working of Christ in his coming and then his living on this earth and then eventually his death and his burial and his resurrection. This amazing, amazing work of God, this inexpressible gift. See, that's Christmas. That's Christmas. And I think so much of it is defined and explained in John 3.16. And so what I want to do this morning is take a look at the why and the who and the how Really, I want to see six keys to the purpose of Christmas. Six things for us to see this morning. Here's the first one. The first one is to understand the authority. John 3.16 starts out, for God. For God. This is not just some willy-nilly plan that's going along on earth. This is a for God thing. God's design. God's plan. You know, I grew up in a family with uh, five kids and... Um, from time to time, uh, jokes were played on each other or tricks were played on each other and you would end up doing the dishes even though it wasn't really your turn to do the dishes. And So it wasn't long before you figured out there was a good question that you would ask along the way and, and the question would be, who says so? Who says so? And so one of your siblings would come and go, hey, hey, it's your turn to do the dishes. Who says so? Mom told me to tell you. Okay, I'm going to complain, but I'm going to do the dishes. Uh, get your stuff and put it away from the backyard before you come in the house. Who says so? Dad said you need to do that. 
okay? I mean, there was an authority there. There was a reason. There was a, a thing that I needed to understand, and I would respond to it, especially because of the authority that is in Well, the authority that's in this story is for God, for God. He's the authority behind this story. He's the authority behind this narrative. He is the reason these things are going to happen. For God, God who is the creator, God who is the sustainer, God who holds time in his hands, God who knows the beginning from the end, God who gave you your last heartbeat and will give you your next heartbeat. God who gave you your last breath will give you your next breath. This is the one who's in charge of this narrative. This is the one who's creating this story for God. For God. That's the authority. But let's look at his motive. For God so loved the world. God so loved the world. All of you who are parents in the room, you would always want the best for your kids. You would always want to do what's right for them. And God's children have chosen sinfulness and separation. And, and yet our loving Heavenly Father for God so loved the world. The text just doesn't say that God loved the world. It says God so loved the world. Um, Sue has a good friend. Whenever she texts, she texts in caps and exclamation marks. That's just the way she is, right? And so, you know, it was so, lots of O's, good to be with you, exclamation, 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 exclamation. It was so great that time we had. It's so good to see what God's doing in your church. It's so, so, that's the way she is. It's, it's just like that. Like, for me, I can hardly find the cap thing, and if I get one exclamation on and an extra O on the so, you got like a big thing from me, right? But, but that's the way that she is. Well, that's what's going on in this. This isn't some passive kind of thing that God is doing. God so loved you. God so loved you. God so cares for you. God so wants what is best for you. God so loved the world. Now let me just put a little comment in here. This is not a verse about universalism. This is not saying God loved everybody. Everybody's going to heaven. That's not what this is saying at all. If you read uh, two verses down in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. It's not universalism. If I go to another funeral where a monkey stands up at the front and basically tells everybody they're going to heaven, I think I'll come right out of my skin. But God so loved this world. It speaks of the depth of his love. It speaks of the expanse of his love. God, the authority, so loved the world. That speaks of his motive. And now we see the gift. It says that he gave he gave his only son. He gave his only son. Um, a good Jew would understand, they would remember the story of Abraham and Isaac and the story where Abraham was called to sacrifice his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So, so Abraham was 
I want your son. You're going to sacrifice your son. And they go off on this journey and they leave the servants and they take the pile of wood and the way they go. And, and Isaac's trying to try and figure all this out. And, and dad, dad, what's going to happen? And, I, and Abraham's like, God will provide. God will provide. And, and he didn't know how God would provide. We know by in Hebrews 11 that he believed God would provide. But maybe God would provide. He would actually kill his son and God would raise him from the dead. He didn't know. But he knew that what he was being asked to do was a pretty immense Amazing thing. Um, Jason, you got a little girl. You don't have a son, but you got a little girl, little Caroline. Can you imagine? God says to you and Jenny, we need to sacrifice your daughter. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? I remember the first time I preached that text after my son was born and I'm going through the thing and I, that hit me in the middle of a... I lost it. I just lost it. Are you kidding? And God provided a ram, and God delivered. But when God gave his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ was the lamb. He was the one who would suffer. He is the one who would die. What an amazing gift. What an amazing gift. It was a gift that we didn't even really understand in our, in our dead condition outside of Christ that we even needed and yet God gave this gift. It was an unsolicited gift. It was an undeserved gift. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. It was a generous gift. God gave his son. It was a sacrificial gift. You know, I think about giving a fair bit in my life and in my work and in what God's called me to. And you think about this idea of sacrificial giving. And I'd ask you this question, have you ever given sacrificially? Ever given sacrificially? I'm not sure I really have. We talk about it. Uh, one time the elders were talking, we're talking about, you know, encouraging the people to give generously and sacrificially. And the generously part I was okay with. I think our church does that. Wow, we, there's a lot of generosity in the church. But I think about sacrificial giving. Have, have I ever given sacrificially? See, I think in North America, the definition of sacrificial would be something like this. Uh, we're not going to go on a 10-day cruise. We'll only go on a 7-day cruise. Right? We're not going to have steak. We'll have hamburger. We're, 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 we're going to buy the chicken with the bone in instead of the bone out. And that's our idea of sacrifice, right? We, we come up with a little bit of uncomfort or whatever, but not, not really, not really sacrifice. God's given us time and talent and treasures. Have we ever sacrificially given? By definition, for something to be sacrificed, something has to die. Sue and I, we talked about what we were going to give to the Christmas offering, and we've made our gift to the Christmas offering, and we decided what it was. But at the end of the day, it, was, it might cause a little bit of inconvenience, but was it really a sacrifice? Something for you to think about. It's not just about money. It, it, it could be with our time. Do you ever sacrifice your time to the Lord? You're not going to get it back. You can't. See, we sacrifice our time in a lot of bad ways. We sacrifice our family for our work or our, 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 our church for our pleasure. But, but, but do we ever sacrifice our time 
for the Lord, our treasure, our time or the talents that we have? Do we ever, do we ever go above and beyond and say, I'm going to use that. I'm going to give that to the Lord. I'm not going to, I can't get it back. It's going to be gone. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It was a precious gift. It was a thoughtful gift. It was a sincere gift. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's almost like a play on words. How do you have a living sacrifice, right? Um, something has to die if we're going to make a sacrifice. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The nature of God's gift is that our salvation is neither earned or deserved, but the gift has no strings attached. There's no special clauses. There's no fine print. God's amazing grace is offered to us in the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. So we have this authority for God. Then we have this motive for God so loved the world. And then we have this gift that he gave his only son. But here's the fourth thing. We have this opportunity. A God gives this opportunity. It says that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, the world does not receive the benefit from that love because it rejects the Lord Jesus. Whoever believes in him, that word appears over and over and over in the, in the, in the Gospel of John. Believe, 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 believe. I think that's a great word because it takes it away from what I have to do, what I try to accomplish. Whoever believes in, in him, it's not just an, uh, an intellectual assent or some kind of an agreement. It's coming to the point of, I trust in, I rely on, I cling to. Whoever believes in him. You ever heard the, the statement, if something seems too good to be true, it probably is, right? That's true. If something seems to be too good to be true, be really careful because it probably is. This is the only exception that I know of really to that. This is too good to be true. You mean I can't earn this and I don't deserve this and God gives this to me as a gift? That's not the way the world works. That's right, because that's not the way God works. Whoever believes in him, whoever transfers their trust from what they were believing and what they were hoping and what they could think they could do and puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Have you believed? Do you believe? Do you have faith? It's the transfer of your trust it brings salvation, it brings rescue, it brings hope, it, it brings healing, it brings a new birth, it brings eternal life, it brings salvation. The alternative is the loss of your life and, and destruction. The gift is that he gave his son for this opportunity that whoever believes in him Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who, what? Who believes. For everyone who believes. Romans 5.1 and 2, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, by, by believing, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained, also obtained access by faith, by believing into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the, of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, through believing, 
through believing. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift from God, the opportunity. Whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, what? Well, the next thing we see is the deliverance. We see deliverance. Whoever believes in him will not perish. Will not perish. Will not be condemned. Will not stand condemned. A wonderful offer is given to us. If we reject the offer, we will stand condemned. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about in Philippians chapter 2, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Not not just some, not just Christians, every knee. And those who've trusted Christ, those who have believed, their knee will bend in rejoicing and worship and eternal life with God in glory. But the people who have rejected, everyone who's rejected Christ, their knee will bend as well. Their knee will bow. They will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, but it's too late. And, and they will face condemnation, separation from God for eternity And how That's why Christmas is so important. It's Jesus Christ coming so that he could live, so he could die, so he could rise again. So he could accomplish what you couldn't accomplish to make your life right with God. He could restore what was killed in our sin. Deliverance. John 3.18, I read it before. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, we have this opportunity so that we should not perish. But then here's great news. Here's the possession. Here's the possession. But have eternal life but have eternal life. When you believe, you're delivered. You're delivered from this um, sinful payment. You're delivered from um, um, separation from God and, and you have eternal life. So when does eternal life begin? Eternal life begins the moment you trust Jesus Christ. That's when it begins. Don't think that eternal life begins when you get to heaven. It goes on when you get to heaven, but it doesn't begin when you get to heaven. Eternal life begins for, the, for you when you trust Jesus Christ. No one snatches them out of my Father's hand. We're safe in the arms of Jesus Christ. We have hope because of the finished work of Christ. My, my eternal life began when I was eight years old, when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Your, your eternal life, if you've trusted Christ, began the moment you trusted Christ. Now, let me tell you something. It's going to get way better, okay? It's going to get way better. Um, we might have some suffering in this world. We might suffer because of our faith. We might, we might suffer because of our stand for Jesus Christ. Hey, hey, I'm suffering because I'm just getting older and pieces are wearing out. Okay, I was at the chiropractor the other day, something going on in my rotator up here, and it's like, like I can go like this, okay, but to do a chicken wing to get money out of the bank machine, it just about drives me right out of the car. It's like, what's going on? I, yeah, this body is breaking down slowly but surely. And one day... I'm going to go to heaven. And, and it's going to be 
way, way better. That pain's going to be gone. All of that's going to go away. If I've had to suffer for the sake of Christ, that will be over, and, and we will have eternal, eternal life where we will be with him forever in heaven, worshiping and glorifying him day and night all the time, rejoicing in God's working. See, that's what God has done. That's why Christ came. Christ came so he could die. Christ came so we could live, and we could be delivered from eternal separation from God to eternal life with him. Eternal life is more than just a timeline. Eternal life, the word, means it's about a quality. And it's going to be so much better. But it's already begun. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, in him, not, not other paths, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. The only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Whoever, whoever believes will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So the, quest, the question on this Sunday before Christmas is, do you have eternal life? This eternal life. Because you're going to have an eternity with God or separated from God. But you have eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's why Christ came. That's what Christmas is about. It isn't about shopping. It isn't about dinners. It isn't about parties. It isn't about, those are fine things, and we're going to do all those ourselves, and we've been doing all those things and enjoying it as well. But that's not why we have Christmas. We have Christmas because God sent his only son. And if we believe in him, we will not perish. And so my question, my plea for you today, if you are in this room, is have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you believed in him? Have you come to the place you understand that I am a messed up person and separated from God and I can't fix this problem? But God fixed the problem in Jesus Christ and he offers you the gift you can't earn, you don't deserve, and he just says, you believe. You believe and you'll receive the gift. No, but I'm not good enough. You're right, you're not good enough. That's why God did it for you. He did what you couldn't do. He accomplished what you couldn't accomplish so you could have a relationship with God restored because of the work of Jesus Christ. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe. I confess with my mouth. And I'm saved. And I'm saved. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. Well, so what? The story of Christmas is an amazing story rooted in God's love for God. So loved the world. It's an amazing story of a miraculous virgin birth because the seed had to be protected. The sinful nature of man had to be taken care of in that. And God did all that in the Christmas narrative to fulfill the requirement of God to satisfy his wrath because of our sin, and he did all of that in Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Have you trusted him? Will you celebrate this season because of his awesome work for you? For God so loved the world. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. Can't imagine what that would be like. He gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will never perish, but have 
eternal life. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the working of your word. And I pray, God, your spirit would work in this place even today. For the person who's here, who got brought by a friend or has been coming maybe for years and has never trusted Christ, would they understand how incredible this gift is, this incredible work that you yourself did, God, so that we could be restored in our relationship with you. We could have um, our life returned. We could have eternal life. Lord, I pray for anyone in the room who's never trusted Christ, that this would be the day they would do that today. They would believe and they would be saved. And then for me, for us who are followers of Christ, would we take a fresh look at this amazing work that you have done and then God, oh God, help us to surrender ourselves fully to you, to to be used for your glory, to be used for your fame. God, do what only you can do in this place for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen.